This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Now, this is the podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their project management skills. My name is Matt Douglas, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And today, I'll be speaking with Adam Naeem. Now, Adam is a professional engineer, a lead green associate, and also a project management professional. Now, currently, he's a senior project manager at the National Institute of Building Sciences, and he has over nine years of experience in transportation engineering and project management in both of those industries. That's a lot. Now, we're going to be talking about the crucial role of team building in achieving successful project outcomes and fostering a sustainable future in the transportation engineering sector. Let's jump right in. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Now let's dive into today's episode. All right, everyone, it's now time for our engineering PM conversation of the week with Adam Naeem. Adam, welcome to the Engineering Project Manager Podcast. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Pleasure to be here. Well, Adam, uh, we just want to thank you for being on the podcast, and we just have a couple of questions that we're going to ask of you. Can you share a little bit about your background and how you transitioned from civil engineering to becoming a project manager with a strong focus on transportation infrastructure? I, while as a civil engineering student at the University of Connecticut, I worked as a construction intern for the city of Norwalk, Connecticut. That's really where I fell in love with transportation engineering and really just how it brings a community all together. And shortly after graduating to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, start as a roadway designer and engineer at the Florida Department of Transportation, where I spent about six and a half years developing roadway plans, really honing in my design technical skills. Afterwards, I spent about 4.5 years working as a project manager for FDOT, managing consultants and acting really as the base of the projects around Southeast Florida. Recently, I embarked on a little bit of a new chapter. I took a chance on myself and departed pure transportation engineering and decided to become the senior project manager for engineering at the National Institute of Building Sciences, which is a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. Can you tell me a little bit about that nonprofit and how it operates and how your experience with FDOT really like kind of ties into that? So some of the projects I worked on at FDOT really revolved around resiliency and hardening the built environment 
around the beaches, around some of the more environmentally sensitive areas in Southeast Florida. Through that experience, it really made me focus on resiliency and mitigation in particular, which really allowed me to get that depth of experience. It was a natural progression from being from construction to design and then into planning and then eventually into policy making. And uh, that's where I currently find myself. And it's certainly different, but 100% refreshing. And your experience, how does your understanding of your own personality as a project manager contribute to building and leading effective teams? So being able to identify your own personal why, or in other words, your motivations and how your personality is formed by that why, is critical in any setting, whether it be personal or professional. For example, I'm one of the rare extroverts in engineering and self-aware of the fact that what motivates me is really my interactions and the ability to help individuals. Many engineers don't exactly have the same motivation, so being able to step, take a step back, observe and process an individual's personality and how that personality integrates into the overall motivations of the team is key. Leading a team is also interesting in that you want to ensure that a team is on track really on the common goal to achieve a certain deliverable or certain goal, really. And you want to leave room for decisions for some of the more reserved members. And really, some of the best ideas come from the quietest people. I do agree. Sometimes a lot of the best ideas do come from the quietest people. And I think that I'm also kind of one of those uh, people, much like yourself, where we're people, people, <laughs> if that makes any sense. We have the ability to communicate well and effectively. And that actually brings me into my next question about communication. Now, communication is a critical aspect of project management, right? But how have you seen effective communication impact your team's dynamics and your, also your project success? So borrowing from my experiences at the local and state level, and now that I'm operating in the federal space, I've observed that the communication is the single biggest deciding factor in the success of a project, whether it be an overall construction project and you're really putting boots on the ground as far as developing infrastructure or a policy decision. A good friend of mine often says that a bird of clarity falls on the communicator, and that couldn't be more true, especially going from the construction to design aspect or from a design to policy making aspect. You always have to really adjust your communication style for people that you're speaking to ultimate and really in the goal of them truly understanding what your intent is and what you're really looking for as the final deliverer. As a PM, you have to keep the intended objective in mind and really cater your communication style based on where that process is. I like that quote that you actually had there. State it again for us. The burden of clarity falls on the communicator. So whether I am a mayor dictating what I want a, a local municipality to be focusing on, or I'm in a project manager focusing on what a consultant needs to really focus on and really nail down on what the true intent of the scope is, it is in my charge to effectively communicate that. I think that you should write a book with that title and uh, I'll buy it. You know, if you make it, that'd be awesome. Luckily, I'm only borrowing that title, but I'll pass that on to my friend. Could you provide some practical strategies that you've used to establish and nurture trust amongst your team members around your projects? 
it's grounded in trust. Ultimately, as a project manager, you're really relying on some of the principles that you've been really drilled into your head. So we're looking at the scope, the schedule, and the budget. Oftentimes, the burden of a PM is learning how to weigh one over the other and really looking at a team's objective and mainly the engineer's core motivations to find solutions to problems. On the base level, most of us engineers go into the profession to ultimately solve problems in various complexity ranges that it's the trust that you place in other people and the trust that you have in yourself ultimately to carry out an objective that really weighs above all the rest. When you're building trust, you really start looking at, okay, what are the motivating factors of a particular team? And what are the motivating factors of an individual person within the team itself? And being able to have that ability to really look towards a certain objective and really weighing certain aspects of a project. There's always going to be a person that's going to say, hey, we want you to reduce cost. We want you to increase scope and we want you to deliver your project on time and under budget. But really it's about weighing all those factors and coming up with something that's desirable, not just for yourself and the team, but also really the end user and the client. And in this case, in the, for the majority of my career, the end user w- was the people of Florida. I do agree that oftentimes we typically try to weigh the differences between the scope, the schedule, and the budget. And oftentimes all of them have to be seen on like, they're all equally as important, you know, like in different phases of your project, whatever the project may be. So I think that's really important to, you know, identify that. And also what you said about trust being able to like actually trust your team members, getting to know them on more of like a cognitive level. That way you can actually establish that trust. And I think it also goes from the staff that's actually working on like the technical aspects of your projects and how that translates to the leadership, being able to actually trust your leader. Is your leader actually capable of delivering on your projects? Are they actually capable of leading you to a successful outcome on your projects? So could you explain the difference between being a leader and a manager in a project setting and how emotional intelligence plays a role in that? I define a manager as somebody who evaluates individuals based on a specific set of tasks really set out for them or set out by an organization. I define a leader as somebody who not only does the evaluating, but also guides and elevates individuals, not based on the set amount of tasks but also elevates them on their own interests and how they can leverage that experience to be more multifaceted. Leaders foster more leaders, and whether that be passing down knowledge and experience beyond that person's on-paper position or trusting them with a new challenge that will make them grow, not just technically but emotionally, it's key in successful organizational development. And with the reality that the engineering industry is facing at large, We have a lot of people retiring and we have turnover at the lower levels. It's sorely needed in every aspect we do. One analogy that I like to think about a lot is a shepherd and a shepherd's flock. Effective leaders are going to be good shepherds of their flock. Like the flock is to follow, you know, all instructions. But if you're not practicing effective communication, practicing and learning and developing as a leader, obviously you're going to be leading your flock astray. 100%. Let's talk about managing 
diverse teams. Now, when you're managing a, a diverse team, like how do you approach getting to know your team members on a more personal level? How do you get to know their strengths and their weaknesses while maintaining a professional atmosphere in your workplace? So everyone has their own work personality and their uh, professional personality. I believe the term is code switching, and it's really their prerogative to how they want to blend the two, depending on where they are in life. For example, I was very prim and proper when I first started as the entry-level engineer, just because I wasn't sure what to expect. But as I got more comfortable in it, and as I gained more confidence in my position and as an engineer at large, other parts of my personality did start to show up. And I started to really blend the two to where I'm comfortable not only expressing my personal side to in a professional setting, but also incorporating some of that professional skills into my personal side. So it really is about time and being able to be comfortable in your own shoes. And the other thing too is, is the thing about managing diverse teams is understanding each individual's personality and really setting that standard of quality work and trust that, that you have in a team that they'll get the job done. Nobody likes a micromanager at the end of the day. And largely what project management has become is really steering away from that traditional rigid managing style and being able to proactively set that standard as a project manager that really cares about the people on a team and really cares about the motivations of a team to achieve a common objective. And that really does take the edge off. And it really comes down to leading by example at the end of the day. One of the major things that I noticed that you said was about code switching. And I think that that's really a hot topic. Now, we have so many people from diverse backgrounds, especially in the engineering space that are stepping in either to entry-level, mid-level, or even leadership roles. And I think that code switching is something that's very prominent, especially in uh, people of diverse communities. I've even had that experience, you know, a couple of times where you feel you have to switch your dialect, you have to, you know, uh, change up the way that you act when you're in the workplace. But another key thing that you said was getting more comfortable with your team or getting more comfortable with your leadership and being able to have the cohesion between the code switch and how I actually am as a person. And that really is what blends and makes a beautiful marriage and makes up who you are in the workplace. Because how can you actually get to know a person or get to know a team member for that matter if they are constantly in the code switching mode? Like I definitely believe that you have to be yourself yourself has to be accepted because there's always value that every individual in a team can actually bring to the table. So I just think that that's very important. And um, I would love to dive more into that, you know, offline or at another time, just to talk about code switching, because I really do believe that that's a huge topic, especially with diverse backgrounds. And I've met a lot of different people through the tenure of my career, Black, white, Asian, Indian, women, men, whatever. There's always a level of code switch that has to be done in order for them to feel like they're actually fitting in. And if there's this standard that we have to fit in with that really raises the question is acceptance. What do we actually have to do to, to be accepted and when can we actually present ourselves? And I think that it's a strategic thing, for lack of better words, you know, like there's a time and a place for it when it needs to be enacted. 
when you feel comfortable, when you feel like you're actually openly accepted and heard. But I also believe that it's up to leadership to bring that out, to be able to find that or notice that in any team members that they may have and just say like, hey, you know, like, let's get to know each other on more of a personal level. Because when that happens, all of a sudden your projects are getting done faster. All of a sudden, you know, you're getting more work in your company. All of a sudden you're getting work done faster, more efficiently, better. There's more motivation in your team, more discipline in your team. I just think it's so important. Working towards a common goal is essential. So how do you align your team with the project's vision and objectives, ensuring that everyone is on the same page? So the best way to align it project's vision is to identify the objective and work backwards and collaborate on the risks and mitigations. That gives everyone ownership of the success of the project or the objective. And yes, there are challenges, but the ability for a team to know that they can collectively come up with a solution while exhibiting some of their own personal strength is key to keeping everyone motivated. Also being able to identify an individual's weaknesses and really present some best practices so that they can either emulate or really elevate themselves in those weaknesses. So I'll give you guys an example. One of the toughest things early in my career was really being more assertive in some of the solutions I presented and really came down to me having to not just pass the PE and also have a bunch of other certifications. So really gain that confidence to say, oh, I actually do know what I'm talking about as a licensed engineer. That could be mitigated by a leader really identifying and raising and really elevating the people that they have under them and really offering them the tools at the very onset of their tenure to not just succeed, but also thrive. I've actually had the same issue with being assertive early on in I think that part of the issue that I had with that personally was with being assertive, I kind of just want to know what I need to say first. I don't want to be wrong or present that I'm actually like doing the wrong thing by being assertive. Because like, you know, what if I'm too assertive and I do something that ends up throwing us off or I have to be corrected, you know, whatever. But again, your point about gaining confidence over time, I think is a major key. Developing that level of assertion that you need to actually be heard. So for those looking to improve their team building skills as a project manager, what would you say is like some key advice or practices that you would recommend that they focus on if they're looking to improve? What I would tell people looking to improve their team building is it really comes down to observing and game planning, not just from your own personal lessons, but from others as well. And really keep that list of lessons learned and revisit them at the start of a new project or when you approach a key milestone, not just even from a project perspective, but also from a personal perspective. If you had a personal downfall or a personal failure or a personal opportunity in that sense throughout the process and throughout your tenure as a project manager, keep that lesson with you and write that down because when you approach that situation again, you can be equipped with some of the tools to really effectively mitigate that or effectively present yourself in a different matter that will pay dividends later on. Every project is unique with its own challenges, but oftentimes they follow the same workflow and processes. And if you can mitigate those risks and find process improvements that really 
smooth out the process and allow for a more seamless transition, it's to your overall benefit. And also pay attention to who is asking what at the end of the day. Situational communication is, is key to ensuring the key stakeholders for a project, not just personally, but professionally, project or maintain their support of you as the person. Building skills outside of the project is actually um, another key point as well. Still, this kind of goes into what we were talking about this whole entire time, you know, like with leadership being able to understand on more of a cognitive level who their team members are outside of the workplace and just developing that cohesion where there's, again, like you stated, a level of trust where we can be cohesive. And then at the end of it all, you end up having more effective projects, more effective processes, and, you know, work gets done better. People are more motivated to be able to, you know, do their job. We're actually going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, we're going to be covering what Adam thinks is one of the biggest PM pitfalls in his profession. Stay tuned. We are back with our PM pitfalls segment with Adam Naeem. Now, Adam, what is the biggest PM pitfall that you've identified in your career and how would you recommend overcoming it or avoiding it for any project manager? One of the biggest PM pitfalls I've encountered in my career was really paying attention to the money aspect. We always will focus on scope, schedule, budget, but the budget part of that equation cannot be overlooked. Sometimes the single biggest risk to a project is how that project slots into an overall work program of any given fiscal year. So if you have scope challenges that will result in an increased budget, your best friend in the organization is the program manager or somebody who understands the financial aspect of how projects are programmed to begin with. If you inform them early of the risks and the value added scope additions, the greater chance that all stakeholders will be happy and the project meets its intended result. So that is one thing I suggest to all project managers not to forget and also really to develop their skill sets right there on. The reason why we're actually working is because somebody has some money to pay us and we have money to be paid by way of projects that are controlled by a budget. If there's not a budget, then there's no project. So I think that paying attention to the budget is probably one of the biggest portions and scope creep is a huge problem always. But this also ties into effective communication, which is something that we've covered here in this video. Oftentimes, and what we teach here at EMI is like how to properly manage scope creep and how effective communication actually really ties in and mitigates that issue. Because if you were to have proper communication or just, you know, actually being the CEO of your projects, being the owner of your projects and actually living and breathing it, knowing it up and down, you are able to effectively predict the future, I guess you could say, or you could, in a sense, be able to circumvent or avoid any potential obstacles by the means of having effective communication with your upper management or the program manager, as you've actually stated. And that helps widely because 
just by having that effective communication, again, yes, you can avoid the issue or you can come to another solution where maybe you can actually be granted a change order or something, if that's something that might be in the realm or if that is within the budget, if there's a contingency plan or anything of that nature to be able to take care of those uh, potential issues. So scope and schedule are definitely some of the largest aspects of our projects, but the budget, I think, in my own opinion, and probably yours as well, it's probably the bigger portion because that really controls the why we're actually even doing this work or how we're actually going to be able to complete this project in the first place. Adam, we really thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Could you tell the viewers how they can find you or how they can follow you? You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me and really what I'm doing at NIMS now at www.nips.org. And uh, we have a few products rolling out pretty soon uh, that I'm sure the greater public will be 100% interested in. Well, again, Adam, we really thank you for just, you know, giving all of us the knowledge that you've shared with us on leadership, communication, trust. I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of major keys that a lot of people are going to be taking. We just want to thank you again for your time and your expertise and what you do for us. Thank you. And it's my pleasure. Thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast with Adam Naeem. Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. And there you'll find a summary of all the key points that we discussed in today's episode, as well as any of the resources, the websites, or the books that we mentioned in today's episode as well. Until next time, I wish you all the very, very best in your engineering project management endeavors. Take care.